Would you put your hands together just appreciating? It is, um, let me kind of put you behind the curtain. There's something that we do on pastor's retreat every year that, that has become a very valuable thing for our hearts. And that is we will get the marker board up. We've done it for the past four years. And we will simply ask one question. Where are the vulnerable places in our body? And we just start writing those places that we want to see God do something because we know he has a heart for those things. And we just write them up. And then do you know what we do? Let me tell you what we don't do. We don't try to fix it. We just say, Lord, these are yours. And will you help? And this is an example of something that was written on a whiteboard in a pastor's retreat moment. And then God answered the prayer. Not by a strategy and not by an outline and a Venn diagram and all that. What he answered it with was people saying yes to him. And it was a year ago that we sat, Mark and I sat in a room with several of them. It was just us and there was no one else inside of that young professionals um, group because it didn't even really exist. And look what God has done. And so we praise him. And that is his pleasure, right? That is his pleasure at work. He loves watching us depend on him because he loves being our father, right? And if there is one thing that gives him pleasure more than any other thing, and really the only thing, what would that be? It would be Jesus, his son. Jesus brings the father pleasure. And we see that throughout God's word, that that is true. And there's one specific moment that becomes just an undeniable moment. And it's actually kind of a foreshadowing of what we're doing tonight. That was the moment of baptism for Jesus. Jesus comes to John the Baptist in Matthew 3 and he says, hey, you need to baptize me. Can you imagine? You need to baptize me. And John pushing back, but Jesus pushing in because he knew that it was his father's will and it would bring the Father glory. And in that moment with the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the, um, the, the skies opening up, a voice was heard. And that voice was God the Father. And what did he say? This is my beloved son. In other words, in case anyone is confused, this is my beloved son. And I need you to know I am well pleased with him. So the pleasure of the Father, and here's the good news for us today. Because the Father is so pleased with Jesus, his Son, and because Carrie's life is hidden with Christ in God, guess how God views me? With pleasure. And I am so blessed to have had both a heavenly Father and an earthly Father that tells me they love me. My dad breathed his last breath about 28 years ago from acute leukemia. And although it's been all of those years ago, I still, even in this very moment as I'm telling the story, I can become that eight-year-old boy standing right here. Because I can hear my dad saying, that's my boy. Now, I have no idea why my Mobile, Alabama, southern born and bred father had to put an Italian accent on that phrase, but he did. 
And whether I was playing basketball or baseball or tennis or singing or speaking or whatever, I can still hear him saying, that's my boy. What we say matters. There's many of you that don't have that voice of your father in your head. You have other voices. But they're still equally as strong. But I pray today as we dig into God's word that it becomes the voice of our heavenly father. That overrides all of those other voices. And that we bank our very heart on his voice of who I am and who he is to me. And because I've had that heavenly and earthly Father's voice that echo in my heart with such um, a strength and a power for my daily living. It has really refined my voice to my kids. I have Corbin in the 11th grade and we have three 24 year olds. Yes, that means triplets. Um, Blake, Tanner and McKenna. And I find myself wanting in their heart what I've experienced in mine. And that is not essays from dad but things that are true that will forever be remembered. That when I'm long gone, they will hear them say, hear my voice in their heart saying, I love you and I am proud of you. I love you and I am proud of you. And I can say that because I hear that. I hear that from my heavenly father saying the exact same thing to me. And so as we look into the passage today and we look in light of what gives God pleasure, we need to understand that God's pleasure, especially in Jesus, is repeated over and over. Not just a one-time moment, but it saturates the entirety of God's word that we would not be confused who God the Father takes all the pleasure in. And that's important. Because God the Son, Jesus himself, he is the one who created the agent of creation and also the agent of mine and your redemption. So the work that he has done in and through us is acceptable and pleasing to our Lord. So if you will, just join me at Colossians chapter 3. We're just jumping into the next Verses. We've been inside of this chapter for quite a while, and we will just continue to do as we do around here, move slow and steady, because it's in that that we're able to just absorb every truth possible to our hearts. It's Colossians chapter 3. We're now in verses 20 and 21. Children, and I'm reading from the NASB, the New American Standard. Many of you have ESV, but I like some of the words inside of this. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And we just pray that God blesses his word. And before we even get started, I know already by hearing those verses, your heart starts to shut down. And we're going to be very honest inside of the next minutes that we have together. And I just want to invite you, if your heart starts to shut down, even at the reading of some of those verses, I pray that you would give the Lord an opportunity to open your heart and hear what he has to say. And I don't want us to miss the most important phrase in all of those verses. And that is this phrase. The phrase is, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's so easily missed, isn't it? We hear the word, Obey, and we hear the word don't. 
But inside of the phrases, the most important one is, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And I want to give you a belief statement this morning that really is kind of the whole of this morning, and that is this. The Lord can be pleased. Is your life sometimes filled with, I can't do enough, and the things I do is not good enough? The Lord can be pleased. And it's not simply that he can be pleased, but he wants us to know his pleasure. And he wants us to know that he is pleased with us because of Christ in us. And I know, I do, and we're going to be doing this the whole morning long. I know this is a hard truth to accept, especially if your story involves a parent or a person in authority that you never could please. Or even worse yet, that they treated you so poorly that you didn't want to please. I know that. But let's take God's word for what it is, and let's just walk through it. And let's let him take the layers off of our heart that needs to be taken, that we can see him fully for who he is. So we're going to approach those two verses with this. Two questions. One, what pleases the Lord? And two, what displeases the Lord? Inside of this household of relationships of children and parents, what brings him pleasure? Let's start with children because it is just right there in front of us, isn't it? Children, the Lord's pleasure is stated very clearly and very succinctly and concisely. And it says, children, obey your parents. And then it does this phrase, in all things. The way that Paul is writing this, and it's not simply here. It's also in the book of Ephesians, almost verbatim. The way he writes it is with such clarity that there's no room for argument or confusion. But I will tell you, and this is many of your stories, there is a lot of room for misuse. There is a whole bunch of room for sin to step in and for sin to quote a Bible verse as if that is what God would desire and his pleasure would be. And it is far from his pleasure. And inside of this, you might also be asking, okay, he said children. Come on, we like boundaries and perimeters. When does this command end for us? Well, that word children is a Greek word, and it's technon. And inside of that technon is a very general statement of ancestor. It's a descendant. It's a very general without ages, I'm sorry to say. I would love to say when you turn 17 and a half, this one you can just wipe off. No, but what we can infer with context of this verse is that while you are under the authority of your parents and some of you children in here are not five years old, but 28 years old living in your parents' home still. So let, let that be God's own work in your heart. But when you, when you're under the authority of your parents, then the verse applies itself. And this is, I had just such a huge aha moment um, this weekend when studying this passage. And it, it came from that understanding, and Ephesians actually makes it very clear to connect this. But this command in this, these verses, especially this verse, 
is not standing alone as a new idea, but instead it's attaching itself to something very familiar for us. It takes us all the way back to the book of Exodus. So if you'll turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, for us to understand this, obey your um, parents in all things, we first need to go to its root of its command and where it's flowing from. And that is the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And this is where God is giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. So, if you will give me permission, let's go back. Okay? Let's go back to Exodus. Let's go back to Mount Sinai together. And let's take a look at this because it really helped me in my understanding of Colossians. And that is, inside of this context, we have to remember the children of Israel have been in captivity by who? Egypt, for how long? Over 400 years. That's a long time. A really long time. And inside of that being captivity in Egypt, the Israelites were still Israelites, but everything they knew was Egyptian. The Egyptian way of worship, the Egyptian way of work, the Egyptian way of culture, everything about 400 years of their families being inside the culture of Egypt. So when, when the Lord freed them from Egypt and that miracle, that's another sermon in itself, when he freed them and literally walked them out of their, from their captives, And put them through the Red Sea that sealed the deal. Literally. And brought them 50 days after their rescue moment from Egypt. Brought them 50 days later to the Mount Sinai, the foot of Mount Sinai. And he gives them what? The Ten Commandments. He gives them a lot more. And there's a lot of the story there. But I want you to focus on the Ten Commandments. Because it really helps me to understand. So he has them there. He's giving them the Ten Commandments. And the purpose of these commandments is to introduce a new way of living. A new way of worshiping him. Instead of the gods of Egypt. So he lays down commandments. Not because he's harsh and cruel and a dictator. But their hearts didn't know any other way. They were kids. Adolescents. So the Ten Commandments began to help them understand how to approach a God they did not know. And so you have the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The second, you shall not make or worship or serve idols. You shall not, number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Everything about that was his relationship to them. Then it changes. The fifth commandment. The fifth commandment comes to what we're talking about today. So bef- the fifth commandment, before God gives a commandment about marriage, do not commit adultery. Before God gives a commandment about his value of life, do not murder. What does he give? Honor your father and your mother. Isn't that interesting? But I started thinking about that and I went, but their homes did not know how to function. They were in slavery and their homes were in slavery. They didn't know. And I could spend all morning on this because I'm, this has really 
affected me in a powerful way. But I want you to picture all of the children of Israel, all the sons and daughters of Israel, and some estimate over 2 million people there at the foot of this mountain of Mount Sinai. God gives the Ten Commandments. What did God not say in the Fifth Commandment? He did not say, okay, parents, I need to talk to you. I need you to lead your children. What would they have said? Lead them how and where? We don't know. What he also did not say is this. Children, honor your mom and dad. As if how we hear it. We hear that commandment as spoken to elementary and adolescents, don't we? He treated, I believe, that whole two million if that's how many were there, plus people all as children. And he turned the home upside down. He did not reestablish the family from the top down. He reestablished the family from the bottom up. And he said, and he looked at every one of them, and he said, honor your father and mother. In honoring their father. And if we think we have messed up families, can you imagine families that had been in captivity for 400 years? What did that family structure look like? And to tell them to honor their family, their mom and dad. But this is what I know. Is that God has called every child before him. And he tells us the same thing. Honor your father and mother. There's so much I want to say, but I have to say this. My wife has taught me what this command means. Honoring your father and mother does not get easier as we all get older. It gets harder. Right? It gets harder. And what I watched in my wife wrestling with this command because her family was not like my family. She did not have in her head and her heart a father that said, I love you and I'm proud of you. That's not what she had. So when her father was in this place of desperate need of help and she was called to honor, she started simply by obeying the command to honor them. And what I watched in her was as she started taking that first step in that command, God started changing her. And do you know what it changed? It changed her parenting of her kids. It changed her as a wife to me. It changed her. God knew what he was talking about. And this is God's good design. And the same is true that as I obey the Lord in seeking to honor my father and my mother, I mature as a parent to my own kids. Because I'm standing in the middle. My kids now are not all about what I need. I've got to give to someone who needs and honor them. It develops humility. And not to overlook the sin and what sin does. 
And so when people who are placed like parents in a God-given role and authority and all that, sin will do what sin does when the person chooses sin. And that will always be that sin will wound, it will control, it will neglect, it will abuse for its own gain, and that is not God's good design. That is not who God is, and that is not what he desires. But I will tell you this, that is why Jesus came. That is why he came. So let's review. Children, what pleases the Lord? As children who are under the authority of their parents, it pleases the Lord for you to obey your parents in all things. And for children of every age, it pleases the Lord for you to honor your father and your mother. And let me just do this because I know this is hard. These are hard words because I know some of your stories. I know our story. Honoring your father and mother does not look the same for every person. The question is not for you to figure out how to do it. It's say, Lord, how do I do this? Before you, what is pleasing? And he is not going to lead you down a road for your harm. He is not going to do that. Parents, what about you? What pleases the Lord? You are not absent from this command to the children. For to obey something means that you hear something, right? They need to hear something. Children need to hear something. So what pleases the Lord is that the words out of your mouth... That you love them. That you love them as parents. And that you help bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's what the word says. And let's be reminded, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And some of our smallest listeners hear the word of God from your lips. But even the oldest of children Hear the word of God from your life of what it's showing itself to be. So parents, the Lord is pleased when you love your children and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amy and I no longer have preschoolers, elementary um, students, or middle schoolers. Um, our, Our instruction and their obedience at those stages seems so straightforward because it was. It was. But now we have an 11th grader in Corbin who drives. He has a job. He has homework we can no longer help him with. <laughs> you get it. He's growing up to be a young man that we're very, very proud of. We also have triplet 24-year-olds who are in a completely different stage of life who are either married or living on their own. And they're all doing such an incredible job of providing for themselves. And we're very proud of them just discovering what's ahead for their lives. Very proud of them. But each season of parenting that we've gone through had its own places of, you know the phrase I love to use, excruciatingly wonderful. And this phrase applies itself maybe more to parenting than any other part and season in our life. And every season that Amy and I have walked through and continue to walk through exposes, you know what, not a a new how-to, but what it exposes is more of the levels and the layers of our own heart. It's like the Lord places us in front of a mirror over and over again and says, let me show you what I see. And with the exposure, he keeps peeling away expectations that are not for him. They sound good, but they're not from him. Desires for our kids that are not from him. He peels away the control and the 
the, the false sense of authority that he's not given. He peels all that away. And right now, Amy and I are, are really left with a simple phrase that we repeat to our children as our only expectation of them. That you would love Jesus with all your heart. That's what we're left with. But that's what he wants us to say. Because it opens our eyes to see when they do take a step toward him and in him. So let me ask the, the same question to my own heart. Carrie, what pleases the Lord for you as a parent of an 11th grader and three 24-year-old children? Here's my answer. It pleases the Lord when I lay, when I lay our kids every day and sometimes every moment of every day before the Lord, releasing them and trusting that Jesus is their creator, is their redeemer, and is their life. That's what pleases the Lord. What displeases the Lord? Children, just as the Lord is pleased when a child obeys their parents, he is displeased when disobedience fills the life and the mind and the heart of a child. Because when disobedience, and we know this also as adults, when disobedience is open to the heart, it doesn't stay in a moment in an act of disobedience. It becomes a seed. And that seed grows into a greater rebellion. And that rebellion then grows and exposes what it really is, and that is rooted in sin. And sin always displeases the Lord. Fathers, what displeases the Lord? Going back to that second verse, verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That's the NASB. ESV says it this way, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice that Paul changes from parents and now he's speaking of fathers. And so I, I am one who wants to be inclusive. And I believe the Lord is inclusive in this truth. So moms, you are not excluded from this truth. Because I know a lot of moms that have exasperated their children. It is a general truth, but the voice is given to the fathers as an emphasis. And also, I believe it's an emphasis of who God is not as our father. So before we just fly by that, let's put some very meaningful, real-life, practical examples of what exasperating and provoking means. These words might feel more familiar to you as a parent. It is a father or a mother who has unrestrained anger, who is relentlessly nagging, who is overly, who uses um, severe words and punishment in an constant way, who is always expecting too much, who's giving unreasonable commands, whose unpredictable temper is always there, who exercises authority without love, without patience, without grace, without mercy. You get it. Everything that a provoking parent is, God is not. And everything that God is, a provoking parent is not. So the command 
in the Greek is a 24-7 kind of a verb. Present, active. It means never do this. Never do this because the consequences of devastation of that child's life is very real. And the verse tells us about that consequence. It says, the verse says that when this happens, they will lose heart. And they will become discouraged. And they will give up. My, Amy and I might describe it as this. Their eyes go dark. Their hearts begin to harden toward you and toward the things of the Lord. And their heart turns from God instead of to him. So I stand before you and I want to tell you that you're listening to me, a father who knows the truth of God's word. I am a father who's loved his children imperfectly. I am a father who, through an imperfect love because of self-love, has exasperated and provoked his children. I am a father whose kids have been or presently have had eyes that have been darkened and hearts that have hardened and lives that have seemed to be running away from and not to the Lord. Please hear me say we love our kids and we are so proud of our kids and we see them whether it's 11th grade or 24 years old as the gift that the Lord has given us and it consumes our hearts with a thanksgiving in a 24-7 kind of a way and we are so proud and we are so loving of them and it is that love that makes us grieve But it's also that love that lets us have joy. The joy of parenting is inexplainable. Or is that unexplainable? Whichever one. You understand what I mean? When your child pursues the Lord. When your child sees God for who he really is and chooses him. There's no greater joy than that. But the grief is equaled. Love creates the joy and love creates the grieving. And the grief, the godly grief is equaled when your kids are walking away from the Lord. And Amy and I are at the same time experiencing the joy and the grief. And God's teaching us as parents how to have both at the same time before him. We're learning together that godly grief invites something really important to our heart. And that is to cling to Christ and to cling to Christ alone. There is no fixing things. There is only depending on everything. Jesus alone is the hope. There's the truth. Why do we compartmentalize that? If Jesus is the only hope and the only way and the only truth and the only life for my life, why can't I understand that that is true for my wife as well? And because it's true of me, because it's true of Amy, it is also true for Blake, Tanner, McKenna, and Corbin. Jesus alone is able, inside of that joy meets sorrow, turn the excruciating grief 
to wonderful hope. Wonderful hope. And the Lord hears our cries. And sometimes those cries are daily and inside of the daily. It's every hourly and in some of hours it's every minute of an hour. And that cry is, Jesus, our kids are yours. Be the light in their eyes. Be the one who tenders their heart to your word and ways and pursue them, Lord Jesus, with your relentless love. And I know there are parents in this room that know both our joy and our grief as well. But I also stand before you praising my God that he is not like me. And that he is changing me to be a father every single day like him. But I'm not just standing before parents. I'm standing before a group of people who are all kids. Every one of us. Just like the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, who each have their own unique story. And to varying degrees, we all, every one of us, have imperfect parents. And every one of us have had moments of them exasperating us. And without Jesus being all and in all of parenting, children will always be left with wounds. In front of me are a room of wounded children. For some, those wounds have been healed. For some, the wounds are still very present. And some, the wounds have been yet even to be discovered. But wounds nonetheless. And for some in this room, not all wounds are the same. And for some, that provoking behavior of your parents has gone deeper than simply making parental mistakes. Some in this room have experienced abuse and forever scars from the very people who should have loved them the most. So to you, as a parent, as a pastor, and even as a child, I want you to hear me say, I am Sorry. I am sorry for the wounds and the scars that still remain. And I am sorry that your first image of God has started with such distortion. I'm sorry that you live with a pain that goes deeper than I can ever understand because that was not my story. And inside my deep sorrow for your past, it is equaled and even overcome to a greater degree with my confidence, a confident hope for your present and your future because of who Jesus is. If your heart would receive it, listen. Your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. No matter how good your earthly father is. Your heavenly father loves you in a way an earthly man never can. And that is perfectly. And he, out of his perfect love for you, will take all of those broken pieces. And he will be a father to you 
who will not only heal the wounds, not make them disappear, but heal them. But he will not only heal the wounds, he will never cause another wound. That's why Jesus came. He bore, he bore our wounds so that we can stand healed before him and at peace for him. Your heavenly father loves you perfectly. And he will take all of those scars that are present and not allowing them to be reminders of shame. What will he do? He will take the scars and he will transform them to be a reminder of his grace and his relentless love toward you. Don't you find it fascinating that Jesus for all of eternity remains as the lamb who is slain? His scars will be a visible reminder to us, not of shame, not of defeat, but what? Of victory, of everything but shame. So if Jesus, the Son of God, for all of eternity, is not embarrassed to have scars, may God do that work in us. And may the scars that sometimes we roll our sleeves down to cover up, we cover up inside of our stories, may those be scars that are told in a completely different way now. Not what somebody did to me, but how God healed me. We need to hear that. So as we begin closing this morning, here's what I want you to hear. Whether you're the son or daughter that has been wounded by a parent or the parent who caused the wounds or the son or daughter who lost heart and has given up or the parent who stands on the porch waiting for the prodigal to come home or the child who is now honoring their parent or the parent who is feeling really good about leading their home and their child, we all are the same. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to be all and in all. For without him, the wounds will never heal. The shame will never go away. And the home filled with obedience that feels really good right now will quickly, like that, turn into a home of self-righteous pride. We need to turn to Jesus And we need Jesus to be in all things, in our lives, our marriages, and our homes, and our parenting. Hope, life, and all that is good, all for all of us, no matter our story, must come to one place, one one person, and one reason. One place, one person, and for one reason. The place is the cross of Christ. The last place you want to go because it represents death is the very place you need to go. There is no tomb without the cross. There is no resurrection without the death. The place is the cross of Christ. The person is Jesus Christ himself. He came to bear the wound and pay for the very sin that so easily makes us lose heart. And he came to be central 
to all things in our lives and all things in our home. The reason? The reason is because it's God's pleasure. It is the Father's pleasure. He takes no pleasure in sin's effects in our lives. He is not a father who sits there and says, see, I told you so. He grieves. That's why he sent his son. But he takes full pleasure in the very things that we think are so embarrassing. He takes good pleasure in redeeming and restoring. There would be no need for the cross if there was nothing to redeem. But he redeems and he restores us through the life and the blood of his son. So as we end this morning... And this, I really do mean it this time. I want you to just listen to God's word. And I want you to listen to the pleasure that the father has in the son. And that the result of that pleasure is your good. Listen, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For in him, who's him? Jesus. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, who's the him? Jesus. He gave the Father pleasure to reconcile to himself all things. What's included in the all things? Everything we've been talking about this morning. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace Who wants peace in this room this morning? Making peace by the blood of his cross. And he goes on. He says, and you, you, start putting your name there. Then put your wife's name there. Then put each one of your kids' names there. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind. And because you were hostile in mind, you did evil deeds. Listen to the definiteness of this. He has now reconciled. Done. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order, here's the great news. It's been a hard morning, but I'm going to end with some good news. And that is this. His reconciliation was not to simply send you on and let you try again. Let you get hurt some more. See who else can be messed up in your life. No. He reconciles you for this purpose. That Jesus would present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So every parent that is sitting out here that goes, I just, I have messed up. Jesus' reconciliation power is bigger than your mess-ups. And he is presenting you holy, blameless, and above reproach. For every child in here that have wounds that go beyond whatever I could ever comprehend, that very part of you that you can never even imagine, it not being so much filled with pain, Jesus is bigger than that in all things and he 
will be faithful to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That is how this ends, okay? That is how this ends. Your story in Christ ends just like that. That is how it ends. Ours is, let's join the journey. Let's not fight him along the way. Let's let's walk with him and let us simply ask him, Lord, what in my life would give you pleasure even in the hardest of things? And help me bring you pleasure. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and it is with such a excruciatingly wonderful heart and mind that we come before you. Lord, we realize that without you, all we would be left with was excruciating. But everything about your cross, everything about your word, everything about who you are brings about this hope that is not imaginary. It's not something that we just want to make a fairy tale or a sci-fi kind of um, extraordinary moment that is not real, Lord. Everything about you is what's real. Lord, we are living inside the shadows. And Lord, as we are living inside of these shadows, Lord, I pray that we would look to the, the one who is casting the shadow, and that is you. That we would no longer be fearful of the shadows that are ours, but instead our eyes would be placed upon you. And and Lord, inside of this place, I, I pray there are people in here that are that parent and are that those children, Lord, that have such deep hurts and everything I'm saying doesn't quite make sense because they don't have an experience with you of you changing them and giving them a new life in such a way that you are walking with them in a very real way. Lord, I pray today they would talk with a pastor or they would talk with someone at the end of the service that that all of that can be laid down before you and, and not disappear, not go away as if those memories never were true, but instead that you would transform the pain by your grace to be a testimony of how loving of a father you are. And Lord, we, your children, your sons and your daughters in this place say together, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.